So we went in for our first ultrasound, and we went in, and it was very exciting. And we were going to find out the sex, and um, I'll never forget sitting on the table and being nervous. I, I tend to be a nervous person anyway. And the, the woman who was doing it made a funny face, and she just stopped and said, I need to get to the doctor and ran out the door. Hi, it's Jen Dean, and I'm the host of The Gardenia Project. The story being told today is from my dear friend, Kim. I've known her for about 16 years now, and I met her right after all of this had happened. When we first recorded her story last year, I didn't have a producer, and so the episode ended up being about an hour long. In the retelling of this, I wanted my producer to listen with her own ears and help me tell this amazing story of love so that more people might be compelled to listen to a shorter version. I wasn't ready really to be a mom. It was an unexpected pregnancy. And I remember when I first found out I was pregnant, I went home on lunch break and I had thought I had had the flu. And I just decided to try taking a pregnancy test and I did and it was positive. So I didn't go back to work, and I think I bought at least eight more tests, <laughs> because they're all clearly faulty. But uh, sure enough, I was pregnant, and oddly enough, instead of calling my boyfriend, I called my roommate, who proceeded to laugh hysterically. So I didn't know if I was going to laugh or cry, but I remember thinking, oh, this just can't happen. I'm, you know, I'm working two jobs. I've been dating this man for three months and I'm 30, 31, 32. Gosh. I, I, I didn't see any other option but to go through with the pregnancy after my now ex-husband and I talked for a long time. We decided, you know, this is a good thing. We loved each other and I could do it. I could be a mom and I've always wanted to be a mom. But I always had the back of my head like, well, maybe it's, maybe something will happen and, you know, I, I, I will end up losing it in the very beginning. I still took care of myself, but part of me kept thinking, nah, this can't be real. And there was so much guilt around that. So we went in for our first ultrasound and we went in and it was very exciting. And we were going to find out the sex, and um, I'll never forget sitting on the table and being nervous. I, I tend to be a nervous person anyway. And the, the woman who was doing it made a funny face, and she just stopped and said, I need to get to the doctor, and ran out the door. And I remember instantly feeling like I was going to be sick, 
like, holy cow, that can't be good. Um, and Paul was like, no, don't worry, don't worry. You're, you, you know, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. They went to the cardiologist because there was something wrong with the baby's heart. They discovered that he had a heart defect and all she heard at the time was the word surgery. They also gave her the option to terminate. I ran out of there. I didn't say goodbye. I just ran and um, I don't even remember checking out actually. I remember being in the car and crying and going home and just feeling like the world was just too much for me. It was just too much. Her amazing doctor called her at home. He explained in detail all the things she would need to know, that there was a torn valve and it was causing the blood to pump incorrectly. His little heart was pumping so hard all the time that it was getting engorged and it was leaning on his lungs. Kim wanted to know if the baby was feeling pain and how his life would look. The doctor assured them that they had a lot of options and they could move forward with the pregnancy. They had to beef him up, get him a little chubbier so they could induce labor and that he would be ready for a heart surgery when it was time. I had to be watched very closely because they wanted me to deliver naturally. So we, we were going to the doctors and I was getting steroids. And, I had to, I had to take it easy um, nights. I still worked. I had to work. I, we, we didn't have much money at all. So I was working and going to doctor's appointments and then going home and pretty much I had to rest, which I'd sit with my feet up and I'd eat pans and pans and pans of lasagna <laughs> while getting shot with steroids. I went from 99 pounds to 199 pounds. <laughs> That's crazy. It was crazy. I still can't picture you like that. You're such a tiny baby. <laughs> oh, it was, it was a lot to move around. It was a good thing I couldn't move around too much because, wow. One day at work, Kim said she just didn't feel right. She knew something was wrong, so she called her doctor, and the doctor said, you need to just come in, just in case. They found out that the baby was having a heart attack inside her belly, so she was rushed to the hospital, and she was put on a heart medication. They kept her there for five days, and the baby stabilized. They realized that if they gave her too many meds, it would ruin her heart. And they had to monitor that. So it was really tricky. After they got everything sorted, they sent her home. But from then on, she was on full bed rest. And then one day we went in and they said, that's it. You're gonna have this baby next week. Oof, it was scary. So I went in and I was in labor off and on for three days. I had a team of doctors. I had the heart specialist. I had a surgeon. I had the regular labor delivery. It was, it was a circus. Meanwhile, I had been there for three days, and for better or worse, I've, I've always been surrounded by extremely caring people and supportive people. 
so at any given time in the labor room, in my, my room, I could have four friends, my mom, her friend, my dad, my sister, while they watched Seinfeld and laughed along while I was in labor, which was a wonderful distraction, but wow. You know, at one point they even told her that they were going to send her home because nothing was happening. After three days of labor on and off and no pain meds, her body went into labor. After three days and months of agonizing over, you know, will he be okay? I finally gave birth and I, I got to kiss his head and then I didn't see him for a few days. They uh, immediately worked on him and put a temporary shunt in his heart and he was taken down to NICU. And that, that was pretty hard, not being able to hold your baby and just see him be taken away and not know if he's going to survive this or not. But I had all this love and support, amazing amounts of love and support, cheesecakes and <laughs> so much food. It was crazy and so many visitors and just an outpouring of love. Now I am going to cry. <laughs> this is the joy part of it all. Yeah. How good people can be. Yeah. And how love really does. It, it's just, it's amazing how it can carry you through times you don't think you're going to make it. They basically lived at the hospital because their house was 45 minutes away. At times, though, they also stayed with friends or the Ronald McDonald house, which was right near the hospital. Kim talks about waking up in the morning at the Ronald McDonald house and there would be phone cards under the door. And this was pre-cell phones, so they really needed those. She also says there were gift cards for local restaurants or taxi services. She said it was so wonderful for them to take such good care of her during this time. But she was also so afraid of breaking down that she really stayed by herself. She didn't take part in the group dinners and things like that because it was just too much for her. On Christmas Eve, Garrick almost died. There were just so many Santa Clauses coming through. Um, every time we were able to go see, see him, there would be another stuffed animal from somebody. Or uh, His room was just filled with stuffed animals from Santa's visiting. And it was amazing. Lots and lots of stuffed animals. But I remember um, Silent Night was playing, and I finally broke down because I was just... He was okay, but I think I finally let myself, like, feel how incredibly hard this was. Um, and I cried for a bit, and my husband cried. And, uh, our heart surgeon, who was amazing, Dr. Quinn, left his family dinner Christmas Eve and came in and sat with us and checked on him and he brought his son who was um, also studying to be a doctor 
it meant a lot. It, it just, it showed me that, you know, I wasn't in it alone, kind of, and that they really did care. Main Med became my home. It, I, I just would get up, I'd go have my coffee downstairs, I'd say hi to people I see all the time in the hallway. And this was all condensed in three weeks, but it really felt like a lifetime. It was just so long. So the night before his surgery, the big one, he was going to get the, the valve replacement. I remember the doctor coming in and telling me, you know, the risks. And I'm not a very religious person, um, but I did find myself down in the chapel crying for a while. So this is surgery number three. The valve was going to get replaced, but he's got a 95% chance of living. So she's thinking about how she can't wait to show him how beautiful the world is. She told me she sat there thinking about the ocean and how much she loved it and how excited she was to show him the city of Portland and the ocean. Now, her grandmother had lost her own son when he was three years old. And of course, her grandmother's generation was one that really didn't get to grieve in the same way we do. Kim knew this and she was really nervous to invite her grandmother because of this, but everything looked so good that she decided it would be okay to invite her grandmother to the hospital. They told us, you know, everything looks great. Why don't you go get a room at Ronald McDonald House? And when you come back, you'll be able to hold him. It couldn't have been more than 20 minutes. And when we walked in the room, I saw my um, heart specialist she was crying and then I saw my sister and she was crying and I didn't want to go in the room sorry <laughs> um, but I did and we found out that he passed away and my grandmother so angry. She was just so angry. I felt so terrible that she had to relive all of that. And I went in and I saw my son. He wasn't alive, but he still looked alive. So they put him in my arms and I cried and, and then Paul took him and he broke down and it was really the first time I had seen him actually have a breakdown because he was so completely strong for me. He was amazing. He was beyond supportive through all of that. So he took Garrett from me, but then he had a breakdown and he wouldn't let go of him. 
the nurses had to kind of calm him down and, and try to take the baby away from him because he wouldn't let go of it. I do remember being so sad, but also so angry at people that I didn't know laughing in the hall or just carrying on with their lives. I, I guess I, I assumed the world was going to stop because mine just did. And they gathered all those millions of stuffed animals and all three weeks worth of, you know, his clothes because we thought he was going to be going home and his blankets and all my stuff because I basically lived there for three weeks and just put them in giant trash bags to bring home and there was just so much stuff just so much stuff and by the time I got home Garrick's room had been taken down and I know that my family did it because they were just so worried about but there was like, there was no trace of him. All I had left of him was trash bags, which I didn't dare open, didn't want to open it. Kim describes this time after Garrick died and says she was surrounded by so much support. The parents of the childcare where she worked all sent donations to the Ronald McDonald House in Garrick's name. She would periodically get postcards in the mail telling her about these donations. Her sister had been constantly traveling from Massachusetts and leaving her own small children at home. And she said there were just so many friends and family members that she was felt completely supported and loved. But of course, there was this memorial service that she had to face. And she describes that she can't really remember much of it, but that she knew she didn't want music, and she told them that, the funeral directors. And they explained to her that it was really important to have it because music helps you feel, and she really needed to feel her feelings. So she agreed. There was a lot of love there. It was packed with so many of my friends, some of my friends' parents, and co-workers and family and people from Massachusetts. It was just beautiful. It was beautiful. I mean, in three weeks, this little boy taught me the meaning of life. Just like that. Very hard way to teach it. <laughs> I would have preferred a different way, but <laughs> he really did. He taught me to just stop and look at what's beautiful and stop and recognize love and be okay with accepting it because sometimes you have to. Sometimes you just need, you need to know that you're not out there alone. I think about the, so many families that were in the ICU who had been there for months, months. It was crazy with all their little babies. and. There, was, there were quite a few heart babies at the time. And there was this young single girl with her mom. And she was so young. And, 
and I didn't see many visitors. I didn't really know her story. And I thought, geez, I, I couldn't survive. I, I couldn't survive this, I don't think, without the love that I felt. Now we're going to pause and hear a message from the sponsor of the Gardenia Project. Grief is a force of nature. Unfortunately, few of us were ever taught how to create space for it. This process can be especially intense for highly sensitive, empathic people like me, because not only are we dealing with all of our own feelings, we're absorbing all the sadness and stress around us as well. And off tape, Kim described being so worried about everyone else, including her grandmother. My friend and sponsor of the Gardenia Project, Jen Moore, is all about creating safe spaces for tough emotions and recognizing what's actually ours to feel and what's coming from the outside world. She knows that loving ourselves through the rough seasons and accepting the hard stuff, that's essential. She's dedicated her life to supporting herself and other people in learning to accept what is and find light even in the midst of tragedy. She can teach you how to develop your own abilities to become a skilled healing practitioner so you can help yourself and others. For more information about Jen's one-on-one programs, groups, classes, and trainings, you're going to want to visit modernmedicinelady.com. And that link will also be on the website in the blog post. And now, back to Kim's story. Kim talked about after the memorial how there were all the trash bags from the hospital, and they just sat upstairs unopened for a very long time. And I couldn't find my sweatpants, and I realized they were in the bag. So I finally had to open up the bag, and uh, so I was sitting on my floor with Garrick's stuffed animals emptying out the bag, looking for my sweatpants, crying. The phone was ringing off the hook, of course. Everybody concerned and checking in, people asking if they can come over or bring me anything. Finally, Paul said, we are leaving town. We are getting as far away from everyone as you can. You need, you need to be alone for a bit, Kim. Kim had to go back to work fairly soon because of all the hospital bills. They were in debt. She described the idea of going back to work as comical. She said, I didn't feel like a real person. I felt like a ghost. She also was working with preschoolers who would make her cards every day that said things like, sorry, your baby is dead. And then there would be the parents who couldn't really look at her because they were so sad for her. And then she was also still looking pregnant and having people look at her and ask, so when's the baby due? And she said she felt so bad saying anything at all because The truth was just too much of a burden to share with them. So I just felt like, I I just, I don't want to live. Yeah. I I don't know how to live. Yeah, how do you live in this world? And I just kept getting flashbacks of my grandmother and my family's face and my friends and just so much hurt and like you know Paul God I still I have to push 
those the picture of him clinging on to Garrick and not letting go out of my mind because sometimes I feel like it's enough to make someone feel crazy that, that amount of pain but I knew deep down that I couldn't cause any more pain to these people and if I killed myself they would feel horrible they would feel like they didn't do enough and they did so much without even knowing right. and they would you know and I would leave Paul alone it was it was a really really hard struggle for a while to to maintain enough strength to get me through the day and try to put on a brave face so that people wouldn't constantly look at me with worry and pity it was awful it was awful and of course they're going to look at me that way right. I am fortunate enough to have such great people in my life they were with me from the very beginning they were with me before I even knew Paul uh, Main Meds um, had me go to grief counseling through them and I did some journaling but then that got too sad <laughs> and so I decided that I was going to have another baby <laughs> Kim describes this period as sort of passing the days at work and moving forward in an emotional trance but she did get pregnant fairly soon again, and Bryn was born on December 25th, one year and four days after she had had Garrick. I was a nervous wreck, a nervous wreck, obviously. Um, but everything looked great. I told them, no three-day labor. And the minute I stepped foot in that door, I want an epidural. <laughs> I won't. I know. These are the things I do know. <laughs> epidurals are okay with me. <laughs> the stronger the better. <laughs> um, Bryn was born on Christmas and once again it was kind of surreal because it was Christmas. Um, I had an army of people uh, surprise me. Um, they had to use one of the big giant carts to wheel in my Christmas dinner from home. Awesome. and presents and it was beautiful it was beautiful um, she she looked terrible when she first came out poor thing I really didn't push her out too quickly she had, she had a burst blood vessel in her eye and her head was extra long and her, her forehead was squished down I, so she looked like she had this prominent dark brow and bloodied eye and a big bruise on her face I was like whoa dear. <laughs> Are you sure she's okay? <laughs> and my sister picked her up and kissed her head and said, Auntie has money and we're going to fix this all up. <laughs> I was afraid to go home though. And all of that fear and guilt and sadness kind of reopened. And, and that made me feel really kind of sad for Bryn. After taking Bryn home, she told me she was racked with anxiety. And this is during the period of time I knew her. 
She would describe how her husband worked overnight and she was home alone and she was terrified that Bryn would die. So she would have Bryn sleep on her chest and she would stay awake all night long to make sure she was breathing. She would lock herself in her room with the bottle warmer and just not come out. We laughed about the fact that Bryn learned to walk at eight months just to prove to Kim how alive she was. I'm so thankful. I mean, I obviously wish I didn't have to go through all that. And my heart aches whenever I hear anybody going through anything with their children because I know firsthand how badly it hurts. Because they're you. They're, They're not they're part of you and you're them and you feel that pain and so I'm glad I I got the chance to learn that lesson and be thankful for what I do have instead of taking my life and and just throwing it all away because that was a close one (laughs) so I'm glad I did it and now I have two beautiful teenagers who some days try me more than I'm willing to stand, but um, they're beautiful and they, they're funny and they're amazing and they're part of me. They're their own people, but I'm them and they're me and it, it's an amazing gift and I don't know if anything, you know, if I would have these such strong feelings of connection if it wasn't for Gary. I just don't know. I mean, I, I think I learned so much in such a difficult way, but God, it was, it was a lesson I'll, I'll forever be grateful to Gary for, forever. I'm so grateful for him. People would say, so how many children do you have? And I'd always pause because I want to say three. I've had three children. I have. But I don't want people to be put on the spot. Like, I never felt like I gave myself permission to do that because I didn't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. And I didn't want to open up any wounds and get sad and then make people feel really uncomfortable. Um, And one night we were out and a friend of mine was with us and a woman said, so you look great for two pregnancies. And he said, actually, she had three children. And hearing him jump in and say three suddenly opened up this new door of, I'm allowed to say this. I'm a mom of three beautiful children. One of them just happened to pass away and it made me who I am and the fact that he could do that it it's still to this day is so powerful to me yeah thank you for telling me about him (laughs) thanks for lighting me I think (laughs) now I'm gonna go have some wine It becomes scary. 
yeah, you have to start over again. You have to find your way again, differently. And you're never the same. You're broken, but you're also whole still, a different kind of whole. These kinds of stories, the ones that just break me open to listen to, the ones that make me wonder how anyone could live through, I guess they're a living testament to what we can do and to love. That word that encompasses so many feelings for all of us, when it comes down to it, it really does carry us through. A huge thank you to my fabulous producer, Stephanie Cohn. As always, love working with you, Stephanie. And Keith Kenneth for the theme music. And if you're interested in seeing the portraits that I took of Kim, I would love for you to go over to jendinephotography.com and check them out. And if you wanted to support us, we would also love that. You can go over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and support us there. Or if you're interested in advertising, you can go through Jendine Photography website and get in touch that way. I'll see you next time. <laughs>